Welcome to the Haber Show. This week's guest is one of the greats, four-time all-defense and all-around great guy, Doug Christie. He's the Sacramento Kings analyst and host of the Purple Talk podcast with James Hamm on NBC Sports. For the first time, Doug will reveal behind-the-scenes details of when he punched Rick Fox in a preseason game. He'll also give us the book on guarding Kobe Bryant and what it's like to play with white chocolate Jason Williams and what he feels today's game is missing. So without further ado, here's Doug Christie. All right, we are here at the Golden One Center. It is a beautiful is it Monday. In the NBA, there are no days of the week. It's just kind yeah, of Monday. Monday. <laughs> you just looked at your watch. I'm a numbers guy, Doug. Yeah. And so what I like to do is look at the numbers. And behind the numbers, there's a story of every number, whether it's a good one or a bad one. But I think with you... I found some numbers that I wanted to run by you. It's oh a little bit of a trivia game because on this podcast, The Haber Show, I like to do like a layup line where we do like a little quiz okay. with the guest to get them a little loosened up. I'm, I'm always loose, so then I'll be uh, very loose. <laughs> Here we go. You wore six different numbers in your NBA career, and I'm wondering what were those six numbers? And okay. what is the story behind those numbers the, and behind those chosen? numbers? So let me think if I can get them first. So as a rookie, I was 35. Yes, and that was your number at Pepperdine. Pepperdine. Then I was number eight. Yep. With the, the the Lakers. Yep. Then I went to the Knicks, and I was number seven. That's correct. And then so that's three. Yep. Then I went to the Raptors and I was 13. Yep. And then I went 25 at the Clippers and one at the Magic. You had 21 at the Clippers. 21. Okay. You had number one at the Magic. You're yeah. correct. We have one more. Well, no, that's six. You yeah, got that's six. six. Yeah. So at Dallas, you had 13. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Dallas, I had 13. So you got all six right there. Yeah, not bad. That's really good. Yeah, thank you, sir. But but you started at, you were at Pepperdine. You had 35. You yeah. Coming to the league, you were drafted by Seattle. Yeah. Then you had a, a what? Contract. A contract uh, thing. Yeah. And, and finally get traded to the Lakers. Myself and I think it was. For Sam Perkins, that's what I got traded for. So I get to the Lakers, play a year and a half, play for it for a year and a half, and then I uh, get traded to the Knicks. I'm there for I believe it was a year and a half as well. And yep. then I was at the Raptors for almost five, and at the Kings for almost five. But but I don't understand. Why did you switch from 35? You come into the Lakers, yeah. you had 35. And then you decide to go to eight, which people don't realize you had eight before For Kobe. Kobe. Yeah. You know, it, it was, uh, I just wanted to change. You know, I, I felt like I wasn't playing and doing exactly how I wanted. And for me, I, I'm, you know, it, it was, numbers mean a little bit. So it was infinity. So I, oh. I went to eight and I, I did well. I, I, I Plus, it was a, a single digit for whatever reason at that time. I can't remember. Um, but the biggest switch for me was probably, that meant the most, was probably 13. Because I, once I, I went from the Knicks to the Raptors, I, I had just got married. And I was thinking, okay, well, what number do I want? And I was sitting, I was talking with my wife. And 
and she was like, you know, you need to do something that's for you, you know, because like when I got 35, you know, my, my brother, my stepbrother, they had that number in high school, so it was kind of like, you know, you wasn't were, yours, it yeah, was there, it, it was theirs, absolutely, yeah. and, I, and I'm donning it, even though I did well at Pepperdine, obviously, so, you know, I said to myself, you know, everyone stayed away except for Will Chamberlain. Everyone pretty much stayed away from 13. You know, it was like the unlucky number. Yeah. And I went, okay, I'm going to own that. I'm so gonna, you own 13, besides Will, of course. But yeah. you own 13. You go with 13 with uh, with the Raptors, yeah. then in Sacramento. Yeah. And then what was 7 all about with the Knicks? You know, it, it was... It was, <laughs> it was Growing up as a kid, my mom used to go to the uh, horse races a lot, and I, that was one horse that I always, I always went on number seven. Lucky so seven. I just lucky seven. So I, I, I went with, I went with seven. I think, and then the, the other numbers that that I liked at that particular time were either retired or, you know, you got like Anthony Mason and Charles Oakley, and you know, you're not getting their numbers. Yep. So uh, I just went with seven. It wasn't there, there wasn't anything there. I was still I was still trying to find myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I I when I was a kid, I would uh, on the basketball court, I would wear number one. And then I remembered when I got to like high school, someone had one already. Yeah. And I said, what's better than one? I'll go with two ones, and I got eleven. So eleven's uh-huh. my number. And okay. I figured every basketball player has a number that they kind of grow up with, or that they idolize their older brother or stepbrother, or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. And then you try to find yourself a little bit in the league and you switch it up. Or you, baseball players are known as superstitious, but like, where you're like, man, I got to change everything this year. So I'm going to change the number. You know, I'm not necessarily, I guess I, I am a little superstitious. Like, you know, I gave my wife and family the sign, but it wasn't, nah, I'm not super superstitious. You know what I mean? I, I, I believe that you got to work your butt off yeah. if you want it to happen. You know, are there other things in this world? I believe, yeah, you know, like I'm in the massage and acupuncture and a lot of different things so I, I believe in the higher powers but uh, I'm not superstitious in a way like I if I don't do this it's not going down I, I don't believe it how many Lakers fans remember you as a Laker you know quite a bit actually because when um, we lived in LA after Sacramento for like four years while my wife was doing some television and different stuff and that's where I got to start with radio for the Kings uh, I was living in Sacramento I mean in LA but watching the games and then I do pre and post on the radio in my son's closet on the physio ball so I know the feeling <laughs> yeah and uh, so when I go around there a, a lot of them still give you love for being the Laker even though we had those crazy crazy battles and a lot of them know me obviously for for the kings but yep. i never there wasn't a lot of venom to be honest with you it was more venom between the teams than it was like when i when i walk around there i don't get a lot of hate from laker fans i don't yeah yeah because uh it, it's crazy to think where you and vladi came from wow how about that you know with the lakers right and then you guys turn around and you become the lakers nemesis <laughs> in the early 2000s and you're holding the mic with your left hand yeah and that's a famous left hand yeah. from rick fox's jaw right. so i've been waiting for this interview because i want to get to the bottom of this which okay. is what happened all right so in that game it's 2003 preseason. Yeah. people don't realize <laughs> that when you when you got pushed by rick fox in a preseason game yeah this was after the the playoff runs against the Lakers. Ori just trying to find the teammate. Yeah. Offensive foul on Rick Fox. Oh, Christie hey. put it back in Fox's face and pushes him back again. And we have pushing and shoving between the Kings and Lakers here early. I told you it was postseason intensity in the preseason. And right away it begins. 
you get up and I guess you step not into his space, but he just like gives you like a little like I guess uh, like hit like without a, a hitting. palm, like yeah. an open palm to your to your chin. Yeah. And then you're from inner city Seattle. You don't play like that. No, we don't. We don't get down that way. So you know, it, it, there was a lot of venom from the fact that there was a lot of talking going back and forth. At and that time. At that, at that particular time. And, you know, they had one. And I, I think that when you're competing against someone, you have an idea where you're at in the pantheon of that. You know what I mean? Yep. And I think they felt us. And I think that they knew that at that particular time, we might have been a better team than they were. But they won. And they had the two most dominant players probably of the era at the same time in their alpha dog prime. So... It's like, you know, when you win, you usually don't have to say anything. I won. Yeah. But you're still talking. So when we got to the preseason, you know, the, the Queens thing and all these different things. The and, Sacramento Queens yeah, that, that Shaq gave you Shaq guys. Gave. Yep. And Rick would always do little stuff, you know. And one of them was he would catch the ball at, at the uh, pinch post, which is the elbow junction. And he would kind of, as you were coming off, now it's illegal, but he would pivot into you and, and like, bruise my thigh. Yeah. You know, and for me, that's big because I'm moving around a lot. So it was just little stuff. And in that particular time, I, I sold an offensive foul. He, like, hit me and I fell down. So then he threw the ball at me. So I caught it. It didn't really hit me and I caught it. So as I got up, I hit him in the face with the ball all in one motion. And that's when he kind of mushed me. And as soon as he touched me, it was I just went black. Bang! You know, that was it. Um, and then it went from there to the back yeah yeah, yeah. Let's, pa- let's pause here because I, I i still i'm watching the highlight this morning just to review everything right, and i'm right. zapruder film and i'm like looking at it pausing rewinding Tom, you're awesome so you're going in and you get you both get ejected right yes, yes okay but prior to the ejection i start shooting the ball you know just like keep shooting i'm the only one on the court shooting jump shots and the crowd's losing their mind i didn't know this yeah yeah it was, it was so bad. you decide you know what i'm gonna take my time getting off the court I'm going to own this. It's preseason. What, what's the worst that could happen? And on the Sports Center highlight, Linda Cohn is talking, and it's great because it's like, you know, you, you don't realize what's about to ensue, but you're running off the court into the tunnel, and you see yourself untucking your jersey. So, so prior to that, so when I'm shooting, right, uh, they haven't announced that we're ejected. So I can see my wife over here. She's on the side of the court, and she's kind of like, what's happening? And I'm like, eh, alright, just give me a second. So I'm shooting and they say you're ejected. So I say, you know, come to the back and I start running. So as I start running, I get about where the logo is. It's almost to the bench over there. Yeah. Okay, so I'm almost there and Bobby Jackson goes, AD, be careful. He started running around. with. So Rick so, went by his tunnel. Yeah, and he started running. To Bobby's credit, I mean, he, he, he saved Rick. That's how I look at it. <laughs> and, and, and Rick and I have laughed about this since. But so now when you most arenas, especially in Los Angeles, there's a cover. There's a tarp there when you go underneath. Yes. You can't see it. Yep. Well, the reason is because as I started running, they started throwing Jack and all these drinks at me. And one hit me in the head and all that. So as I get to the tunnel and I look up, here comes Rick around the so he was trying to ambush you? Yeah. So I'm thinking, this is Hollywood. Dude. <laughs> so uh, he, he, he runs and um, up to me and he jump kicks me. Like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that. Uh, so I, I catch him. Wait, he, 
did you know that he had this in you? Like you're 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 walking in and you're like, all right, he's ready to throw down, and he drop kicks you. Jump kick. Jump kick. So yeah, he, like yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I just kind of stood there and I just accepted his him in and and grabbed him, and he he grabbed my neck against his chest so I, I tried to shake loose and I couldn't so I realized where I was at and the stanchion is right here so as soon as I picked him up and took him to the stanchion as soon as his back hit the stanchion he released my hands and I came up and bang now was that no it wasn't that because I, I found this photo of a certain someone who's uh, yeah, holding that, a purse can Chris you identify no, that, that would be Miss Christie can you identify oh, this person yeah she's about that life that is your wife. Absolutely. And she is coming after Oh, Rick. she's coming. But <laughs> no, you know, uh, when I when I came up and I, and I hit him, he, he kind of fell and then someone grabbed me. Uh, I think it was Lawrence Funderburg, matter of fact, they grabbed me. And I'm thinking, Lawrence, you've obviously never been in a fight, bro. You never grab your own person. What are you thinking right now? Uh, and that turned into something because he, he was taking me to the back. So he took me... It, it, if you've been to Staples Center, you used to be able to, in the back, look all the way down. Now they have stuff yeah, just so, because yeah. of that. They they, they re redesigned, they redesigned the area the because of this preseason game. Absolutely. So as he's holding me, um, uh, I look up and I'm looking all the way down the hallway where Rick came from, and Shaq's running down the hallway. So Shaq wasn't playing in this game. No. He was wearing these pajama like yeah, he had plaid suit on. Suit yeah. on. And I'm uh, I'm telling Lawrence now I'm calming down because I'm seeing him. He's getting closer and closer, and I'm thinking, "Look, dude, you better let me go." And he's like, "No, do you know? Do you?" And I'm like, "I can't say it on here, but I'm like, look, Lawrence, <laughs> on my mama, you better let me go right now." And Shaq's he did. Coming. And and Shaq just kind of came and he looked at me and he just kept running around the corner and that's when you see him. So he looked like he was trying to separate things. Like well, he was I was to prepared for You're ready whatever. To go. You know, I mean, Shaq is Shaq. But he, I mean, whatever. You know, I don't know. You might get your shot in. <laughs> well, I, I remember uh, a couple years ago, you were on the you were on the broadcast with uh, Chris Weber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And right you were here. Right here. Right here. As we're as well, we're sitting we're here at now. Yeah. on the set, and C Webb says someone hit Shaq or someone gave Shaq the business but I won't name names in oh, there yeah yeah I don't know who because I didn't see it I have no idea and I've never because see Webb wasn't there so I went for, Webb was uh, he was home that game he wasn't at the arena so when I went into the locker room my phone is just exploding and I answer it and it's him <laughs> And he's just like, yo, man, what am I doing at home? Oh, my God. Uh, but it was, it was great, man, because it was just, it was, it was, that's what basketball is supposed to be. Um, it's like, we're not supposed to like each other. You know, afterwards, we can go grab a bite, hang out, do whatever. Would you and Rick, like? You know, oddly enough, so the NBA two years ago contacted me, and it's, uh, it's uh, All-Star Weekend. And they go, hey, we're doing this Legends thing. We'd love to have you on uh, NBA radio to do this interview, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, hey, sure, no problem. Just, you know, give me a time, call me, whatever. And they said, ah, one caveat. You know, one of the guys that's interviewing you is Rick Fox. And, and I was like, look, if he's cool with it, I'm cool with it. You know what I mean? No problem. So we, uh, we got on air and we, we laughed about it and talked about it and just, you know, and then talked about a bunch of other stuff. So yeah. it was all good. But your wife, what was she planning on doing? Uh, she was going to beat the hell out of him with that purse. You know, <laughs> she's from Seattle too, so that's how we roll.
That's amazing. And it was one of those things where, uh, you know, it, you're always attached to that, that yeah, moment. Yeah, especially here in Sacramento. In Sacramento, oh, because it was like, there's so much frustration built up yes. over the years. Thanks. And finally, you were like, you we're know what? Get you're not going to play around with me and get away with it. Yeah. And, and you went after. So she, I guess she later described it as she had her purse with her and she's like, I'm going to use this as a weapon, yeah. ball it up and swing it swing it on uh rick foxy right yeah but someone like grabbed her right beforehand yeah is that I a think... smart thing someone grabbed her before that because well, yeah. she might have done but i mean rick was uh from my understanding Disposed because yes because he... of your fists absolutely yes. so he was okay but i think you know she was just you know credit to my wife i mean she she's ride or die she gets down that's what i love about her you know what i mean i know she's got my back for sure <laughs> <laughs> as demonstrated oh man <laughs> We'll start there and move our way backwards. Yeah, yeah. So, a lot of people look at today's NBA and they see the three-point shooting, they see the passing, and they see the Warriors have that dominance. But your brand of basketball with the Kings, mm-hmm. the greatest show on court. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. And Thank you guys you. run up against the Lakers. I think before you got there, they, they, had, they lost to the Lakers in the playoffs. I think my, actually my first your year. Your first year. Uh, your first year, they swept you guys, yeah. and then yep. the next year was. Okay. We, I think we won like, I think it went sweep like win one, and then we pushed them to double overtime. Yeah, I think that's how. It, I can't remember off the top of my head, but yeah, we we build, and and that's my point is we could feel the build, and I know being in that position competing against people, you can feel it too. Like, oh damn, they're kind of getting good. Oh damn. We can't do anything about this, but they did. Which to the—that's what I respect. I mean, to their credit, that's what competition is about. Like, for, for example, how I give you how in depth, like a guy like Kobe. My first year when they swept us, I'm contesting his shot and I'm on top of him, right on top of him. You know, I mean, hand in the eyes, you can't see the basket contesting right there. And, and I had a modicum of success. They still obviously beat us. I come back the next year. Same thing, and nothing but net. Whack. And I'm thinking, he spent all summer making sure that he took away the thing that I had. And that is what, yeah, because now it doesn't matter. You can still do it, but I've worked on my game enough. And that, to me, is that's the beauty of, of it all. And that's, I, you know, whether we like each other and all that, I respect that part as a as a competitor. It's that something is. we don't get in other sports where uh, in football it's one and done. In the NCAA tournament it's one and done. But in yeah. the NBA there's a chess match. Yes. And so if you were, or did something that worked in game one. Right. Can it work again? And Do even I, in the off season. How about that? And that's and that's when he, he took advantage of that. All the little chess moves and different things. I, I, I love the game. I'm a nerd for the game. So I find the, the skill set acquisition, the, the body part, and do you take care of yourself, and the mind part, which is drastically old. I, I put all that together when I train. I find that fascinating to try to, to create what is considered, you were talking about Golden State, a juggernaut. My first year back here was Steve Kerr's first year, and they won. And I asked him, the very first game was in Arco Arena, and I said, hey, Steve, what are you going to do different to Mark Jackson? Steve looks at me and he goes, I'm going to be honest with you, we're going to take what your guys, your team did in Sacramento. We're going to put Andrew Bogut at the high post. We're going to pass and cut and let the big man pass, and we're going to move and get layups and shoot the three. And I'll be damned if they didn't run it off. We never were able to get the championship, so we don't get the credit, but that is beautiful basketball. 
It is, and uh, C. Webb and uh, Rick Adelman's offense when you're having Vladi in the high post with C. Webb, the passing is insane. I mean, it was. Uh, it's the way the basketball, in my opinion, should be played. I, agree. I mean, we we talk about ISO basketball, and James Harden now is ISOing the, the uh, you know, to 38 points a game. But um, it's a team sport, right? Yes. And so for all the Kyrie one-on-one, James Harden one-on-one stuff that we see, and that like uh, on social media is. Uh, oh yeah, it's religion to yes. some people. It's right. What you do one-on-one, right? But it's a team game, and so I think you guys represented that is. You knew that, uh, hey, we're we might not be better than Shaq, right? Individually, right? But the way we're gonna beat this team is, is by a team, five-man basketball. I mean, that's what I found. You know, so as you talked early, uh, I got drafted by the Sonics. That went really bad, and it, I really lost my love for basketball. You mm. know, like growing up, we played in the streets, we played in the rain in Seattle. We, we just loved the ball in Seattle. That's why you get Nate. Jamal and now Kevin Porter and all these, they all went to my high school. So that's where you get that love and it turned into a business. But not until I got back, got to Sacramento, which was like my ninth year, uh, playing with Jay Will and C Webb and Vlade, I I just, I I fell in love again with the game and I learned the game. Like uh, you heard KD talk about learning basketball when he got to Golden State. I I didn't learn basketball until I got to Sacramento. That's insane to me. I was. You guys could be one of the. You you, you could be one of the best hundred players at your craft in the world. In the world. And you don't really understand the game because there's nuances to the game: screening angles and passing, and and the quick second pass, and time and score and just understanding the nuances of the game of basketball and Coach Carrill and Coach Adelman and just being around high IQ players and we conversated about basketball and what you see and what you feel and all the that's that's the, that's it and that is what we don't have today the skills have improved today yeah these guys are doing some incredible things they they don't know how to play as much and that's why you get a guy like Jokic Can't jump, he can't run. Yeah, but he is nasty. Ooh, I love watching him play. He, he reminds me so much of Vlade. Just he grabs it and the late, the late pass. The hands over where his he's shoulder. just like, yeah. yeah. The, the shot fake like Jack Sigma, long and late and just waiting for the guy to go off. That is the essence of basketball. So uh, you nerd out on the game. Kobe yeah. does too. Uh, so give me the the book on Kobe. What would you try to take away, and if there's anything you can take away with Kobe? Because yeah. I, I had I found this stat, Doug. Okay. You held him, or I guess when you when the Kings played Kobe, mm-hmm. and you were on the floor, right? In those games, he shot 29% from three. That's, that's a few games. It's a bunch of games. Yeah. But uh, I think you had said at one point that sometimes going up and trying to put your hand up on a shooter might not be as effective as other tactics to yeah. get in their head or get get under their skin a little right. bit. So what kind of tax, tactics would you use against Kobe? Maybe not him necessarily, but things that you can do against a 30-point scorer. You know, so even like Kobe, I always felt that it would have been easier to guard Kobe, obviously, if I didn't have Shaq, because I was leaning always towards Shaq trying to guard Kobe. That's mm. like insane, right? I mean, because... Kobe by himself is a monster. 
Um, the fact is, he really tried to perfect each and every one of the things that I was just talking to you about. Pump fakes, pivots, left, reverse pivot, forward pivot, half pivot, quarter pivot, pump fake, shot fake, foot jab, double foot jab. I mean, and then do it in each quadrant of the court. Like, we're going deep here. So when you're dealing with someone like that, you try to take away something. So like most players, when I played against them, I would... I would like push him, nudge him, and then like, hey man, what the hell? What are you doing? Yeah. Like I'm in. Get okay. in their jersey uh, a little bit. Yeah. So now I'm in your head. So I win. Kobe never, he never let me in. So that was tough because you never could, you never could, you had to deal with him on an outside skill set, which I respected because there he was, he had emotions, but he wasn't emotional, mm. and that's that's deep because. You could push him, hit him, pull him. Michael was the same way. He, he had a poker face almost where he, he didn't let you see yep. what he's feeling. Right. And, you know, only one time when they were winning he did. But it was kind of like, ha-ha, which that? I lo lost respect for, you know. When was that? Like, uh, it was, we were playing at Arco Arena, and I believe they swept us. No swept games. It was only like eight points. It was close. Shaq fouled out and Kobe kept going. Kobe kind of was like, yeah, you guys are going to have to, you know, kill me. And I'm thinking, dude, why are you talking right now? You never have said anything. Don't do that. Like, you won. You got it. Was that because Shaq was out and he was trying to assert himself? What? You know, I'm not sure. Like, but where I come from, it's like showing off. You, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, you've already won. What the hell are you doing? You don't need to do that. Yeah. You're, you're better than that. You're above that. Like, you are it. I respect that. I'm giving you that respect. Well done, sir. What was it like playing with Jay Will? The best, man. You come into that, that team. Wow. I get, so, one of my very first preseason games with Jay Will, we were coming down. He's on the right side. He's dribbling hard, and I'm out running. And he passes me the ball, and all at the same time, he says, shoot it, shorty. And I'm thinking... God, he just said, like, we're in the NBA game, <laughs> yeah. like, just the the raw essence of basketball, like, it took, he took me right back to the playground, and that, I love him to this day, because that's where, for me, the love came back. The joy of basketball. Oh, my God, like, I was, I truly enjoyed going to the gym every day and practicing, like, I didn't want to leave, I was there early, stay late hot tub, weights, the whole skills out there, working on my skill, just everything because, you know, you don't want to let your teammates down, but at the same time, like, the joy and love that he was giving me, I was just like, this is incredible. And, like, it was for me, I always say it was basketball nirvana. That's the best way I can describe it. Every piece, these incredible fans, like we go on the court, like Arco Arena didn't have all these bells and whistles. So when we hit the court, they were already in their seats. Yeah. The, they were the ready game for, was the main event. They were ready for the yeah. show. And now as I look back and I train athletes, when I, when I pat, you know, all the passing and cutting and practice that we did just over and over and over. And we'd have fun and we'd laugh, and, but we were learning all the nuances of each other and how pass and how that guy likes it and how this guy likes a screen and where I can pass it and how I can cut. So by the time we hit the court, it was a show. 
because it was rehearsed like but there but it was but it was G-tune. unscripted it was almost like you're improving based on you know what everyone's tendencies are and like where they're like plays would be run not necessarily for people it would just be like let's run these actions and then whatever happens out of it what I consider as I started training later and studying basketball it was Jeet Kune Do what Bruce Lee did it was just whatever happens I got something for that and that is the highest level of anything it's like you you know Coach Carrillo who is uh, our assistant coach yep. he 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 always just, he was my guy. He broke it down so simply. He said, Doug, basketball is simple. He said, watch the guy in front of you. He'll tell you what. I was just like, wow. Mind is blown. <laughs> yeah. And he walked away kind of with a waddle look back at me like, <laughs> did you get it? And, I mean. It, it, it is, it, yeah. It, that's, that's it. But the, the problem, Tom, and this is where guys don't get it is, you have to master all the skills that allow you to take advantage yeah. of the guy in front of you and what he's doing. So he could be giving you the playbook yeah. and telling you what to do, the blueprint on how to beat Absolutely. him. Absolutely. But if you don't have the toolkit. Then you reach back there and you need a hammer and you come out with a screwdriver. It's a wrap. Especially against guys like Kobe. Like He's looking for, like if you make a mistake, almost like if you almost make a mistake with that guy, it's a wrap. Like, he takes advantage of fouls, angles, quickness, every possibility. And that's, that's why, for me, it was always such incredible to hit the court and play against, like, those guys. Or just the highest level, because you get to test all this yep. stuff. You guys were fast. You were ranked number one in pace in, like, four out of the five years you were there. Think about that. Vlade, not fast. Yeah. Webb, not fast. So what was it? Like, what... what, what? You can play with pace like the Kings do today. De'Aaron Fox, and this is what Luke's trying to teach him. De'Aaron Fox is pace. He's a freaking Lamborghini. But the ball moves faster. So you can play with pace by moving the basketball and moving people. And then if you master the skills, you're thinking ahead, like whoop, whoop, bang, bang. Like a quick second pass in soccer. You catch the guy. He's not, he physically can't get to that position, right? Yeah. And that's how we played with pace, which now our pace today would be like last in the league. But then we probably would have ran a little bit more. You know what I'm saying? So you figure it out. You, there's a highlight I saw of you. Uh, it was like Keon. You might have thrown it behind your bat. Yeah, in, in uh, San Antonio. Give me that play. So uh, the ball gets tipped. It's getting ready to, to go out of bounds, and I grab it. I throw it behind my back to Keon. He kicks it back to me all at one set. I drive to the basket. He keeps coming. I drop it to him, and he just pipes it. Bang! And I just run in front of San Antonio Benson. Oddly enough, after that game, uh, I'm standing out there with my wife talking, and Coach Pop comes over to the fence, and he's just like, dude, you guys, that might be the best team that I've seen in the league. And I just was like, thanks, Pop, you know, we appreciate it. I mean, the, the plug-and-play ability when you have a core and a culture. System of just yep. understanding. And then when the players come in, Anthony Peeler, Jimmy Jackson, Keon Clark, you go on and on, they fit right in, bang, because the culture dictates what you do. Or you don't belong here and you got to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Which happens. Yeah, it does. Really. And that's part of if you got a strong culture. 
All right, let's take a quick break to hear about a podcast that should be in your rotation. Hey, this is Danny Pommels on the latest Sixers Talk podcast. Sixers partner Michael Rubin sits down with Michael Barkhan and talks about his relationships with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. Joel and I have a great relationship. Ben and I have a great relationship. I love them both. I'm a, I'm a relationship guy. You've known that since the time you met me. And what I've learned, and I think actually players from a very young age and all sports learners, it's a business. And the Sixers are business. The Sixers' goal is to win championships. To listen to the full interview with Sixers partner Michael Rubin, download the Sixers Talk podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. What are you waiting for? Now, back to the conversation. One thing in that highlight that, or that play against San Antonio that always sticks out to me is you were jumping down the court with a big old smile yeah. and like you were a kid again. Yeah, that's... I mean, that's what, that's what I, the reason that I have, especially like I'm so proud to come back here is because I feel like I have unfinished business, truly. Like, I need to see a parade, man. Like, we were so close. Sacramento, Webb, Vlade, and Pajan, and Bibby, Jay Will, and, Bobby, and all those guys, yeah. they gave me something back that I had lost for a long time, and that was the love of basketball. You know, I loved it, but business got in the way, and then the fans, adopted me and it just was it was the greatest experience and feeling that I had ever felt I mean we were we're professional yeah. we're playing professional basketball at this level well, if, if you didn't know we're playing uh, some music right now in the building Orlando's in town yeah. so they're playing the magic yeah. do you believe in magic no. um, look I know you got to get out here but one last thing I want to hit I think you're big on this. You didn't play basketball really like it was your sport until later in your life. You were a big soccer player. Yeah. And you and Peja the same way. Mm-hmm. Have you talked about this with other players in the NBA, just like how different sports help you play basketball? You know, so I always played basketball, but my 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 first organized sport was, was soccer, and then after that was basketball. So I was always a hooper, but um, when I started playing soccer, I learned footwork and nuances yeah. of being able to work with my feet and different stuff that I had never experienced before that. So, uh, I mean, Hakeem Olajuwon, I mean, uh, Steve Nash, some guys who play soccer, and you could see the vastly superior type of footwork that they have. And yeah, it, it is, you know, you, you turn on different parts of your brain and stuff, and now today they're so sport specific. Whereas I, I say venture out, man, play different stuff because you're going to turn on different parts of your mind and your body that you don't know that are going to be able to help you on the basketball court and when you're training in basketball. 96 dunk contest. That's scary. That was, uh, you know, I, I, I shouldn't have been in a dunk contest when I was. That was like two years, two years prior to that is when I should have been in it. But right before the dunk contest, I was with the Lakers and uh, I came down on Eldon Campbell's ankle. And my foot just touched oh, no. the ground, just boom, blew up like a balloon. And that was probably the end of my dunk contest. Because in college, uh, I won the dunk contest at uh, the NBC All-Star Game. And that was the first time I think a lot of people had seen. I threw it up in the air and grabbed it and put it underneath my leg and dunked it with my left hand. And the place just went nuts. But you tried to incorporate soccer into your Yeah, game. yeah, it just... It, you had a back, back to the basket over by the free throw, free throw line. line. You did like a little punt. And yeah, you kick it to, over the head, and then... What was the plan? Well, the plan was to grab it and maybe try to put, put it between my legs and dunk it. But, it just, you know, when you... It's different, like, in practice, it works. <laughs> yeah. But when you get out there in front of, like, 
35,000 in the Alamo Dome. Oh, and man. you got Patrick Hewitt over there and you got all these. It just didn't, it didn't work. Like I wasn't nervous, but timing and then the clock's on and you know, it, it's it's different. But um, yeah, I wanted to, I, I think I, I called it because um, Derek Harper's son was Moose. He was a soccer player. So I think I was calling it the Moose. And the Moose. Yeah, I kick it over the head. As it bounces, I just wanted to, you know, one, like for a self alley with a, a, a with the kick. with the kick. You know, you don't really think like back then when I was able to jump that high. You kind of do what do, what it does in the air, you know. So I was thinking to myself, can I grab this and maybe put it underneath my leg, behind my back, something that people just go, oh my god, you know what I mean? But unable. <laughs> well, dog, I appreciate you. Uh, going down memory lane here and I'll talk about today's NBA and just you know the things that have changed over the years Absolutely. but we'll have a we'll have another conversation another time it's always been good to get up with you anytime I appreciate you man all right thank you all right that'll do it for this week's episode of the Haber Show podcast I want to thank Doug Christie for coming on and joining and going uh play by play blow by blow on that uh Rick Fox squabble if you haven't Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want more trade deadline talk, go download my previous interview with Nate Duncan, where we go through all of the trade suitors and his top 10 prospects in the NBA. Let's go download that. Go tell your friends. Go tell your family. Go tell your pets. Whatever. Till next time on The Haver Show.